0: Our world today seems wild and out of control. It seems almost impossible for ordinary people to make wise decisions that can keep them safe and healthy. Welcome to Words from the Wildwood. I am your host, Richard Stidham, and I hope to give you today a better understanding of what is really happening in the world around you and how you can hear God's voice over the noise of the world around us. Let's go today to our new segment. all right everybody welcome back to our podcast today we are still chasing down all the important points of the book of Revelation. Hopefully so far you have a better understanding of the real world, less mysterious aspects of this book. It's revelation of what is going to happen in the end days meant to encourage people going through hard times. If there's another book that is as as important as this one today, I don't know what it is because basically we are living in the end days. We are living in the days where everything seems to be coming apart. People seem to be losing their sanity. Everyone seems to be going completely mental, and we ask why, why, why? And the real question is, haven't you read the book of Revelation? Haven't you read the Bible? Don't you know what sin does to human beings? So let's see where we are right now. We are coming up on Revelation chapter 15, Revelation 15. The earth has had so many chances. The earth has had so many chances. The witnesses were sent. The 144,000 were here for three and a half years. So many chances given for people to wake up from their slumber and know that judgment day was coming soon. But now, Wrath is about to be poured out on those who dwell on the earth. Remember that wrath is the stored up judgment of God. People have sinned. They have defiled themselves, their their countries, the earth itself. The Bible says that the earth groans in anticipation of being set free from the sin that locks all over it. If you look at the world today, the world is in pain, and Jesus is about to come back and end that pain. So now this wrath is about to be poured out. We saw this last week. We saw the beginning of it. The final pieces of God's game are on the board. The end game has been set. Now the earth will be shaken and the people will be forced to remember that this time the Passover isn't coming. This time there is no blood to put on the lentil and the doorposts. This time there's no way to avoid what's about to happen on the earth. And the seven angels who are about to appear, these seven blows will herald the second coming of Christ. We're going to start today on this um, study. We are in Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. We're going to get through part of Revelation 16 today. Then we're going to stop, pick it up again next week so that we can prep ourselves for what comes after. Let's see what's happening. So God has put his final pieces on the board. Now the field of judgment is cleared. The field of judgment is clear. Let's see what it says in the book of Revelation, chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in the heavens, seven angels with the seven last plagues, for with them God's wrath will be completed. So God has been pouring out his wrath on the earth. And now he is going to amp it up. He's going to roll it up. It began with the trumpets. It began with the riding of the horsemen who are about to bring the world into subjugation to the beast, the dragon, the false prophet. But now all of that wrath will be finished. And when God is done with it, he will be finished with it. Verse two says this. I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had won the victory over the beast, his image and the number of his name were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God. This is where we get the image of everybody in heaven playing their harps. Now this image right here of a sea of glass mixed with fire, this is directly from Ezekiel's vision chapter one. Go back and look at it again, his description of the heavenlies where he sees God enthroned high above the earth, sitting on the shoulders of the cherubim. Uh, A powerful vision, an amazing vision, and it's exactly these words, this sea of glass right in front of the throne. So it says this in uh, verse 3, they sang the song of God's servant Moses, now you know we're going to be back in the Old Testament for that one, and the song of the Lamb, great and awe-inspiring are your words, Lord God, the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations, Lord who will not fear and glorify your name? It seemed, it seemed impossible that anyone could see the power and the majesty of God and not give him glory. Yet we live in a world today that hides its eyes from the truth of who God is. You know, We can behold the heavens, the works of his hands, the sun, the moon, the stars, all the things these space telescopes are showing us. They're showing us the glory of God and we will not see it. He says this, Because you alone are holy, for all of the nations will come and worship before you, because your righteous acts have been revealed. So they're predicting that day when the whole earth will come, before the Lord God, and bow down when Jesus returns to the earth. Now what is this song of Moses that they're reflecting here? It is found in Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. You know, I love to tie the Old Testament to the New Testament because... The Old Testament lays the foundation, just like with the vision of Ezekiel, then repeated here in John, every Jew is going to go, wait a minute, that's Ezekiel. I know where that comes from. So Exodus 15, 1 or 2, it says this. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider have been thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. This is right after God closed the Red Sea on top of the armies of Pharaoh, sending Pharaoh and his entire army to their death. Their uh, corpses, um, their chariots, the skeletons of their horses are still in the bottom of the Red Sea. They exist. They can be seen by archaeologists and those who would dive in that area. The evidence of God's victory is there, but you don't hear about it. Nobody wants to see it because nobody wants to know that God is a God who can destroy entire armies if they come against him or come against his people. So they are singing the song of victory. Remember, the witnesses were raised up. The 144,000 were raised up. Those who lost their lives were martyred uh, in, in the tribulation times. Uh, they are all rejoicing because God is being glorified. It is now time with these seven bowls, these seven angels, for God to receive everything that belongs to him. Let's go back down to verse 5 in Revelation 15. After this I looked and the heavenly sanctuary, the tabernacle of testimony was open. Out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues dressed in clean white linen with gold sashes around their chests. That is the symbol of a priest, one who was holy unto God, one who would have the name of God written on their forehead. So this was to show their holiness and their purity. One of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven gold bowls filled with the wrath of God. Of course, this is a symbolic filling. Uh, These bowls would have been shallow. They would have been used to hold incense, but now they were holding the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Then the sanctuary was filled with smoke from God's glory and his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels was completed. Well, of course, right here, every Jewish person, every Christian who has studied the Old Testament knows that this is a perfect description right out of Exodus chapter 40. You guys should always write these things down. You should always tie them together. Always know that the Bible says nothing without reason. The Bible says everything on purpose, for a reason, to remember, to bring to your mind. So here it is, Exodus 40, 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of Yahweh filled the temp- tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of Yahweh filled the tabernacle. Even Moses himself, who had stood on Mount Sinai, who had been there, whose face shone with the glory of the Lord, could not enter the tabernacle when the cloud had descended because the power and the majesty of God was so intense that no one could have survived it. That's what's happening in the heavenly tabernacle, that heavenly sanctuary, Everything is coming out in power and in majesty. We're now going to skip to Revelation 16, beginning in verse 1. We're going to look at the first bowl of God's wrath. The first bowl of God's wrath. And then we're going to tie everything that we see here to its Old Testament roots so that you can see that as God was then, God is now. And that's why God says, there is no shadow of turning in me. There's no shadow of I was one one way here and one way here. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. They say the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath, and the God of the New Testament is a God of love. No, God doesn't change. He always extends mercy. He always extends loving kindness. He is patient to the last moment that whosoever can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Let's see what it says, Revelation 16.1. Then I heard a loud voice from the sanctuary saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped the image. Of course, this is so, um, so directly tied to the Exodus event to the plagues that fell on Egypt. But I want to add real quickly, this also happened when the Philistines laid hold and seized the Ark of the Covenant. They seized the Ark of the Covenant, they brought it into their city, and as soon as they did, boils broke out on their body. In fact, when they made an offering to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they made solid golden symbols of the of the pustules, of these uh, boils that broke out on their skin, saying, this is what you curse us with, here, take our gold and remove your curse. But it all goes back to Exodus 9. Exodus 9, 8 through 12. It says this, and Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So he throws this this soot into the air as, as, as a pronouncement against them. And then as soon as it goes into the air and dissolves, boils begin to break out. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh. And Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. Now pay attention to the final verse. But Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as Yahweh had spoken to Moses. God had told them, hey, you're going to prophesy against them. They're not going to listen. What you'll notice again and again in the scripture, is that it will say, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Whatever we begin by willful disobedience, God will let that continue unto fruition. Let it take its course. So back here uh, in the very early days of the, of the plagues then he, of course, uh, throws his dust in the air and they they are smitten with boils. Everybody who will go through this in the tribulation time will be able to go right back to the book of Exodus, chapter 9, and go, oh my gosh, this is what God, this is what Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is what he did to the Egyptians. He did it to them. Now he's doing it to us. Maybe we should get our acts straight and not be like Pharaoh, who did not listen to what the voice of God said. But then the second bowl was brought out. Verse three, the second poured out his bowl into the sea. It turned to blood like a dead man's and all the life in the sea died. Now stop for a second. Throw your mind back. This is exactly what happened in the second trumpet. And when the second trumpet was sounded, one third of the life in the seas died. One third. Now this time, all life will die. What's interesting to me is is that geologists have found in recent months that there are massive underground oceans of water far beneath the surface. Of course, as Christians, we knew they were there because these are the fountains of the deep that exploded up, broke the tectonic plates, set the world in motion, caused the flood in the days of Noah. We knew they were there, but they're still there. So it's interesting that God is going to kill off all this life in the sea but there's a reserve down there, deep in the ocean, deep under the ocean, and I think that is what God is going to use when Christ comes back to cleanse the world and set it right for a thousand years. So this is actually a repeat of the second trumpet. Then it was a third, but now it's everything. And go on to the third bowl of judgment. The third poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water. Why is that important? Because ocean water you can't drink now some places like hong kong they have desalinization plants that take us ocean water and they take the salt out of it and they make pure water out of it for drinking because there's no no legitimate source of clean water there but here this this act is going to go against the drinking water the water that we need for life And it says, it will go into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became as blood. I heard the angel of the waters say, you are righteous who is and who was the Holy One, for you have decided these things. They're saying, God, you are right to judge men for what they have done. You've given them a chance, three and a half years to get straight, and they just won't do it. Verse six, because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, you also gave them blood to drink. They deserve it. I have heard someone from the altar say, yes, Lord God, the almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So basically by, by killing the prophets, by killing the saints, spilling their blood on the ground, then they have been given blood to drink because it was the blood that they had shed. This is their way of being judged. We see this again back in Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 through 18, and maybe get a little more of a picture than what we might get from there in Revelation. Remember, they already assumed that you would know what was in Exodus, so that when you read it in Revelation, you would understand. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go, go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water because the, the Pharaoh would go out and would bless the water and, and he would bless the river gods that, would, that brings water and, and the, the seasonal floods that gave um, the Nile River Valley its, its richness and its diversity. He says, stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. And take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent, and you shall say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. Not unreasonable. Just let them go, let them serve me, and let them come back. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh. By this you shall know that I am Yahweh. Behold, with this staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile. Remember, the Nile River was life to everything. Life to, it was life to plants. It was life to people, to animals. It was the lifeblood of Egypt. The Nile was everything. It was seen as a god. It was worshipped as a god. And it shall turn to blood, it says. The fish in the Nile shall die and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. So in some way possible, they were still able to drink this contaminated, polluted water, but it, it, was, it was wearisome to them. It was almost unstomachable. Un, un but the whole thing is, many people have said, lately in the world these outbreaks of uh, red tide, the, this this red algae in the water that makes it look like blood, that makes it stink like blood, that this has become uh, an epidemic throughout the world, and now we have these oceans of seaweed uh, doing exactly the same thing. So in some way, even though the water became detestable to the people in Egypt, they could still survive. God didn't kill them, he but he made them suffer just by drinking it. Just how about how terrible? that it actually was so now the oceans are dead and the fresh water the springs have this contamination this pollution in them but it's exactly what he did to the Egyptians and the people in that day will know it look at the fourth bowl verse eight the fourth poured out his bowl Onto the sun, and he gave the power to burn people with fire. And the people were burned by the intense heat, so they blasphemed the name of God who had power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. We have seen this statement before. They were challenged, they came up against a God they could not handle, so they cursed him, reviled him, railed against him. Even though he had the power, they were still so wicked in their minds twisted in their hearts that they fought against god so this we've seen before this fire we've seen this is a repeat of the first trumpet that we have in the earlier part of revelation but it's also very similar to the seventh plague on egypt which brought about hail a burning hail a hail that caused uh, destruction and 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 brought pain and suffering to the people of egypt so here again we have this burning hail also people have said that there's uh, some weird activity going on with the sun there's some of these solar flares some of these solar explosions uh some say that there's some activity that it at some time in the future could release massive amounts of radiation and heat and intense um waves of heat toward the earth, and it could become very problematic for us to survive what's happening with our sun. So this sounds exactly like what John saw. He saw this thing happening with the sun that caused the earth to burn. Also, perhaps a return of that burning hail from the storms, from the solar storms that are whipping things up. But keep going, we're with the fifth bowl now, the fifth bowl. Verse 10, The fifth poured out of his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues because of their pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, yet they did not repent their actions. Right here, four and five say it. Even though they see the awesome power of God, they will not repent. They will not stop. They have put their faith in this false prophet. They have put their faith in this antichrist, this false Christ, and the power that comes to him from the dragon. So people are so deceived, taking the mark and, and, and bowing down to this false God, they really believe that somehow this false God is going to save them from the true God of Israel, and that's what's amazing to me. These, um, this pain and darkness we've seen before. Of course, it is in the book of Exodus, chapter ten, verses twenty-one through twenty-three. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt." Now consider that, people, a darkness to be felt. I don't know about you, but I've been through some through some situations, through some storms. Uh, through some winter storms especially, where everything is silent, where the the darkness is so intense. There's no light, no electricity. And I don't know if you've ever spent a long time in a dark place. Uh, I used to go to visit caves up in Kentucky and Tennessee and places like that. And you get in the bottom of those caves. You get right down the bottom and they shut the lights off to show you how deep under the earth you are. And let me tell you, It's dark. You can't see your hand an inch in front of your face. You can't see anything. And the terrifying thing about that is after a few moments, that darkness becomes oppressive. It begins to push down on you. You begin to feel the weight of that darkness. And I think that's what's going to be happening. There was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt, three days. A darkness that could be felt. So whatever's going to happen... In this, uh, in this bowl right here, this fifth bowl, it's going to pour out a physical darkness, and its weight is going to be such that people will be suffering just because of the darkness, because of their fear, because don't forget they still have the 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 aches, the pains, the the bad water. They still have the sores um, that came along with the very first bowl. So all these things are coming along. Uh, One after the other, after the other. So they're not even recovering from one before they have to deal with the second. Just like Egypt, when the plagues came, the plagues came, Pharaoh pled for them to be lifted. They were lifted for a moment. He went right back to doing what he was doing and God went right back to the next plague. Well, that's what's happening here. These bowls of wrath, um, God is bringing back all the things he did to Egypt to get the attention of the people on the earth, to give that any last person that chance to repent or any last chance for them to say, I I, I see, I I cannot go on any further. I have to give myself to the God of heaven. And I think that's what's going to be happening here. Now we have two more bowls to go. We have two more um, terrible situations to look at next week. But don't forget, all of these things are meant to bring about the second coming of Jesus Christ. So until we get here next week, be safe, watch the news, watch the skies. Friends, our Savior is coming. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It might be in 10 years or 20 years. I don't know when he's coming, but he said he's coming back. And the way the world looks, I wouldn't bank on it being too long. God bless you guys. Have a great day. We'll catch you later in the Wildwood. Thank you for joining us today on Words from the Wildwood. We are a listener-supported program presented without commercial interruption. If you have enjoyed this program and want to support our outreach, please send any gifts to Richard Stidham, P.O. Box 1321, Baytown, Texas 77521. Thank you for listening today. God bless, and we will see you again in the Wildwood.